The Seahawks officially have wrapped up their three-day mandatory minicamp at the VMAC. What went down today at their final practice? Pete Carroll spoke with the media. Rob and I are going to be breaking down several of his comments on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks wrapped up their three-day mandatory minicamp today at the VMAC. They had practice indoors with the rain coming down. It feels like it's January here in Seattle right now. We're still having winter weather periodically mid to low 50s and rain but anyway the Seahawks have a really nice indoor facility we're still able to hold their practice so we'll be discussing some of Pete Carroll's takeaways from the three-day minicamp breaking down some of his comments after today's practice and we'll be continuing our position by position review with defensive tackles this episode is brought to you by BlueNile.com Visit Blue Nile to make your moment sparkle with jewelry and locked on sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. So make sure to use the code locked on at checkout at bluenile.com. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. At the end of their mandatory mini camp, as expected, Pete Carroll spoke with the media. And one of the big things that everybody wanted to know about was the status of running back Chris Carson. This has been a topic for several months with Carson coming back from cervical neck surgery that he had in December, not an easy injury to come back and play football with. And for the last couple months, Pete Carroll has been pretty mum when it comes to updates today saying that Carson was not given the green light to participate in minicamp but he's got a key date coming up in two weeks when he revisits with doctors. He did say that he seems like he's getting very close in terms of having the range of motion that he needs, but still overall the update wasn't very encouraging. You know, and that's the thing. This is as expected. Um, You know, we've talked about this so much, Um, you know, even uh, immediately after the injury took place uh, or excuse me, after the news broke that that Chris Carson was not going to be able to play this this past season. Um, And then obviously reinforced when Seattle made their second round selection of Ken Walker, the third, you know, then that was basically the conjecture is that there was going to be no way that Chris Carson was going to be able to return back to the field for the Seahawks. Um, I, I'm you know, still holding out hope. I think that every true Seahawk fan is, um, and not only Seahawk fans, but just fans of, of Chris Carson, the player, Chris Carson, the man. Um, but at the same time, this also is a quality of life kind of a conversation. And so while we all want to see number 32 back on the field, we also want him to be able to enjoy the rest of his life. Still, obviously, a very young man at this point. Um, and so, again, I, I am very curious to see and hear any updates that we can, that we might get, whether it be two weeks from now or perhaps even sooner. Yeah, and Carroll said that Carson is one of his all-time favorite Seahawks ever. You don't want to necessarily view the comments that he made as an end-of-the-book type thing, but Carson knows that, Carroll knows that, that, 
you know, that might be what they're facing right now. But everybody's keeping their fingers crossed that when he has his visit a couple weeks from now, that maybe he's in a good enough spot that he can get cleared. Up to this point, though, that has not been the case. They were holding out hope a couple weeks ago when he met with doctors that he would get that green light and it just didn't happen. So both sides continue to be in a holding pattern here as we get closer to the start of training camp. We should know a lot more here in a couple weeks once Carson's had that evaluation with doctors and he sees where he's at from a physical standpoint. Carson wasn't the only injury that Pete Carroll updated on. Out at receiver, D. Eskridge did not participate at all in the three-day mandatory minicamp, and obviously that's concerning just based on the fact that Eskridge dealt with injuries throughout his rookie season. He missed time in off-season workouts last year. He missed time in training camp with a toe injury, missed seven games with a concussion, and Carroll even said it today. They're a little bit frustrated by the fact that he's missed a number of practice each of the last two years, but they held him out dealing with a nagging hamstring injury. It's still June. You don't want to force the issue with one of your top receivers, a guy that you think can contribute on special teams as well. So they opted to hold him out as well as receivers, Derek Young and Bo Melton. Both of them are dealing with hamstring issues. That looks like it's kind of a chronic problem for many of Seattle's players. And that's not necessarily unique this time of year as guys are trying to get back into shape for the upcoming season. It's not unique. Um, but at the same time, I thought that the word that you just used there, Corbin, concerning, I think is absolutely appropriate. And for all three, obviously the most, mostly concerning for D. Eskridge, considering the lack of durability that he showed this past season. Um, you have these these two rookies, uh, Derek Young and Bo Melton, who they want to make quality first impressions, of course. Um, but the, the soft tissue injuries are a concern. I, I think that they're a reflection of you know possible um, you know lack of conditioning at this point. I mean, these are finely tuned athletes, and so if you go from you know just kind of lounging around a little bit, or at least not working out full bore the entire time, to then suddenly uh, you know being asked to to accelerate uh, you know quickly. Um, then that's really easy to pull a hamstring. And so I, I think that it is critical that, that Seattle's young wide receivers in this case really make sure that they take full advantage of this remaining time before training camp to make sure that they are in tip-top shape once we get to late July and August. The good news is Carroll didn't seem to be concerned by those injuries, particularly the two for the rookies. He said they're going to be okay. They were being ultra cautious with those two, and they didn't even necessarily pull a hamstring. They just were sore, and they were concerned at that point that they were susceptible to having injuries. So they decided to hold them out, and both those guys could be seen doing some work at the end of practice today. So have a feeling that with this break coming up, they're going to be able to attack their conditioning to be ready to go for the start of training camp. And then you've got the knee club, a number of guys coming back from knee injuries. Gabe Jackson did not participate the last couple of days. He's coming back from an operation on his knee. His was not as significant. But then you have players like Trey Brown coming back from a patellar tendon injury. Marquise Blair, a fractured kneecap, and he had an ACL tear the year before, so he's had bad luck. You've got a pair of linebackers in Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan that are both coming back from torn ACLs as well, at least for those last four guys that I mentioned, Pete Carroll didn't necessarily sound optimistic that those four were going to be ready for the start of camp. Maybe Marquise Blair being the one they've got the most optimism with, but Ben Burkirvin is going to be having another small little cleanup operation to get some scar tissue out with hopes that helps speed up the end of his recovery here. 
His status is up in the air. John Radigan tore his ACL back in December, so he's later in the process. Probably going to need more time. So you get a number of guys that have a chance to start on the pup list when Seattle reports in late July. Yeah, and, and most of this is as expected. I mean, we, we knew about most of those uh, you know prior injuries and, and the resulting surgeries. The Gabe Jackson uh, surgery is a little bit uh, of news um, and a little bit surprised. I mean, he's entering his 10th season in the NFL. So, you know, certainly we're talking about a proven commodity, but still uh, the fact that, that Jackson was unable uh, to practice, we, we saw just kind of the, the domino effect of that um, with Phil Haynes kind of getting those first team reps most of the time at that right guard spot. Uh, and then Jake Curran, obviously previously Seattle starting right tackle sliding inside to right guard. So I, I think that in a way this is a good thing for Seattle you're you're moving around some young players who I believe have a great deal of upside at the same time it also is a little bit concerning because again Gabe Jackson is an aging player so hopefully this was a relatively minor thing certainly nothing nearly as serious as the injuries that you had mentioned previously with with BBK and Radigan uh Trey Brown I, and just like we talked about before with D. Eskridge, uh, I think that anytime that we mention Marquise Blair and injuries, that that just kind of starts to accumulate. And so he has got to get himself right. I am hopeful that all of these players, if they're not available for the start of training camp, then hopefully with the possible exception of Radigan. Uh, that hopefully they're going to be able to compete relatively early in camp and be able to assure themselves of getting a spot on this team. A lot of these guys, your hope is that you can have them at least starting to work back in when you get into padded practices. And maybe you can just have them doing some work on the side and gradually get them to where they're able to participate in padded practices. If you can do that with most of these guys, then you should be feeling pretty good about getting them prepared for the upcoming season. But a lot of significant injuries, and those can take time, particularly when we're talking about knees. So no certainty here when those guys are going to be back in action. The Seahawks wrapped up their mini camp today. It was indoors, not quite as much going on with no helmets on, not not playing their seven on seven and doing 11 on 11 walkthrough style. So we're going to be breaking down some of the comments from Pete Carroll afterward, what he had to say about what he saw on the field the last three days. We're going to be breaking those comments down and sharing some of our thoughts here in a moment. At BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7 Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON. That's locked on. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have a very important favor to ask of you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked on podcast shows 
even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. The Seahawks wrapped up their mandatory minicamp at the VMAC today. Again, not an overly exciting final practice because there were even more limitations than they already have playing indoors. When you have 91 players running around indoors, not a lot that you can necessarily do. They, they didn't have helmets on, so they played 11 on 11 walkthrough style. Not a lot of craziness going on, but we did get to hear from Pete Carroll for more than 30 minutes after the practice, weighing in on a number of topics. And I think we got to start with maybe the most pressing headline for the Seahawks right now. DK Metcalf not being in attendance for minicamp. And Pete Carroll said today that he's no less optimistic about Metcalf and the Seahawks striking an agreement on an extension than he was before minicamp. But he admitted that he was surprised that Metcalf made this decision to not show up, at least be there to watch minicamp after being at their offseason stuff last month, as we mentioned yesterday, is a bit bizarre that they made this quick change and he decided not to show up this week. Well, I, I mean, I, I certainly share uh, Pete Carroll's, you know, no less optimistic um, that there is going to be a long-term deal in place at some point with, with DK Metcalf. I mean, whether it be Seattle or somebody else, and then that we're just seeing uh, the way that the, the salaries for wide receivers have exploded, and there is not a more physically talented wide receiver in the NFL, perhaps even in history, than, than DK Metcalf. And, and that is why the young man is obviously looking to get paid. And this is one of the few bits of leverage that he has without – impacting the regular season of course and, and so i i'm not surprised that that metcalf did something um and you know considering that he may get fined less than a hundred thousand dollars uh for missing the three days of camp and considering how much money we're talking about uh that that could result in then uh, i think that this is a is probably a, a sound financial uh gamble by Metcalf and his representation. But at the same time, obviously, what this comes down to is the Seahawks and DK Metcalf have to come to some type of agreement. Hopefully that is going to be happening as soon as possible so that Metcalf is back on the field for the Seahawks and training camp because clearly you have to make sure that you develop that rapport uh, with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, whoever it might be at the quarterback position, and in year two in Shane Waldron's scheme. And speaking of the quarterbacks, Pete Carroll today, when asked about what he's seen from him, again, Geno Smith remains out in front. He has the edge, but he did say that he's been impressed by what he has seen from Locke and the command that he has of the offense. So I don't know that I would look at this as saying that this has been distanced at all. Geno Smith still has that advantage, knowing the playbook, being familiar with the system. But based on what he said, it sounds like Maybe that gap got closed just a little bit and that Drew Locke is starting to make some headway here as we get towards the end of this third phase of the offseason and we get closer to training camp. Going to have this little window where players are going to be staying away, doing work on their own, that maybe just maybe he's positioned himself now to be able to make a push when they report in late July. 
Yeah, that's the way I've been reading it as well, Corbin. And of course, you've been there, had actually eyes on all three of these practices over the last couple of days. Um, and, and obviously, there's only so much you can take a, away from these things when you're not in full pads, you're not in true 11 on 11. They, as they say, it's fake football. Uh, but at the same time, I think just the the confidence that, that Drew Locke has uh, said that he has um, in his understanding of the offense, I think just the rapport that he's already building with his teammates, even Geno Smith has talked about how much he likes Drew Locke just as a guy. I think that's important at the quarterback position that you, were, you don't necessarily have, necessarily have to be liked, but you have to be respected. Um, and, and so, again, I think that that's important anytime you have new teammates, obviously, especially at the quarterback back position and the feedback i've been getting is that in, in terms of the special throws the throws that make you just your jaw just kind of drop and you think wow that that's something there that that drew lock has demonstrated that and that's not a surprise to me that i've been kind of you know pounding the table if this is a, a supremely talented player of course we had senior bowl executive jim Nagy, former seahawks scout uh you know basically tell us about how special that he thought uh that, that drew lock was as well I do expect that gap to continue to narrow and would not be surprised at all if by the end of training camp, if Drew Locke has rustled away that starting position. And it's just crazy. You know, Pete Carroll says that Geno Smith's got the slight edges out in front a little bit. And then you see some of the articles that are out there that are making it sound like, well, Drew Locke is going to lose his second straight quarterback competition. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess if you're looking for interpretation, I didn't view the comments that Pete made that way where, you know, he's explicitly saying, well, this is Geno Smith's job to lose. I do not view his comments saying that at all. And based on what I've seen at the practices, you mentioned the special throws. There have been special throws from Drew Locke. Now you've still seen some of the ones that make you scratch your head a little bit, and that's what he's going to have to get cleaned up if he wants to win this job. I mean, that throw he made to Tyler Mabry at the end of their minicamp on Wednesday, that was one of the best throws you'll ever see. Even in a seven-on-seven seven with no pass rushers, throwing across his body on a frozen rope. I mean, it was a missile. And he put in a spot where his tight end could get it. The coverage was good by Tanner Muse, but the throw was even better. The problem is you can't bottle that up and have consistency with the easier throws that NFL quarterbacks have to be able to make. So he's got to show he can do that. Geno Smith has the edge in that regard with the easier throws, the mid-level throws. He's more consistent. If Drew Locke can show that he can improve upon that as he gets more in depth with this offense, then certainly he can close the gap, maybe even surpass Geno Smith. So as we've been saying, this is far from a decided competition and anybody that's saying that it is hasn't really seen what's going on on the practice field. Speaking of another former Bronco that is now wearing a Seahawk uniform, Noah Fant, Pete Carroll today, I asked him about the tight ends in general, and he said that Noah Fant was arguably the best player in the OTAs and minicamp session. And I can tell you that you can see it. The natural athleticism, the ability to stretch the field, haven't gotten to see where he's at as a blocker yet, obviously, but in terms of running routes, being a natural pass catcher, the versatility in the deep to short passing game, moving him around the formation, all of those things have already been very evident. And you can tell that he's already pretty in sync with this offense. Yeah, I, I really think that Noah Fan is, is a special athlete, uh, you know, and, and Seattle has had their struggles at the tight end position. Um, he had some good football players. 
a limited number of guys who can run uh, and, and catch and have the size that Fant possesses. Um, you know, we're talking having conversations like 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 Jimmy Graham. We, we saw flashes of it from from some of Seattle's other tight ends uh, in the past. Gerald Everett showed flashes of that as well. The way he would just kind of bounce off of would be tacklers. Um, at the same time, Noah Fant is younger. Uh, he has again that that elite straight line speed at the position, the four fours. Um, you know, this is a this is a freakish talent, and we discussed this previously, Corbin. That I fully expect Seattle to take advantage of their tight ends much more often now. Um, that Russell Wilson is not under uh, uh, at the quarterback position because that was just not a position that he, because of his height, was able to truly take full advantage of. Um, and so I do think that, that Seattle is going to be throwing the ball to their tight ends much, much more. And I think that Noah Fant is easily going to be Seattle's top tight end. And with all due respect to Will Disley, he he just doesn't possess the breakaway ability that Noah Fant does. Uh, Noah Fant possesses. So I again, this is not one that I find int- incredibly surprising, but I think that it is certainly exciting from a Seahawk perspective because you think about the defenses in the NFC West, they have an awful lot of great pass rushers, some pretty good safeties as well. And so knowing that how much Seattle wants to run the football, it makes all the sense in the world to be able to do a little bit of play action, go right over the top to the tight end. I think that is something we're going to see Seattle try to exploit over and over again this upcoming season. Pete Carroll gave several good sound bites today to wrap up minicamp, but there was one that stood out above the rest to me. And it was when he was talking about their rookie class. And he said he was jacked up about this group. And we know how excited Pete Carroll is about this incoming nine-player class with having four picks in the top 72. But what he said about Boye Mafe is the one that really jumped out to me. He said that Mafe is the closest-looking fit to Cliff Averill that they've had in Seattle since Averill was forced to retire with a neck injury after the 2017 season. That is really lofty praise, and it's a lot of pressure to put on a player. I know that Averill only made one Pro Bowl, but such an important part of those elite defenses that Seattle had in the mid-2010s, and a guy that had almost 35 sacks, almost 90 quarterback hits in five seasons with the team. And really, that was a little over four seasons since he didn't play many games his last year with the team. We saw what he did in the playoffs, too, and how much his injury impacted that second Super Bowl. The Patriots weren't able to do much until he got the concussion. So a really great football player that Boye Mafe is already being compared to without playing in a padded practice or a game. And you look at the metrics, they're similar size. Maffei's a little bigger at 6'3", 261. Averill was around 6'2", 253 pounds coming out of Purdue. Athletically, their 40 times were 0.02 seconds apart. Their 20-yard split and 10-yard split were almost identical. Maffei's the better athlete in the explosives, better vertical jump and broad jump. Averill, though, had a 6.9-second three-cone drill. So you're talking about two guys that I think share a lot of similarities from athletic traits. I think you watch the film. They're both great at forcing strip sacks and creating turnovers. There's a lot of similarities. So, you know, I think Pete Carroll might be onto something with this comparison. 
Yeah, I think he might be onto something. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, when uh, when when the Seahawks drafted Boye Mafe, and of course, uh, you and I were working side by side inside the uh, the Seahawks uh, facility um, at, at VMAC, and I had the the pleasure of working alongside Ian Furness on on Sports Radio nine ninety three point three KGR, and was doing you know kind of live hits on uh, as Seattle made their selections. And uh, Ian asked me if I saw shades of Michael Bennett uh, when Seattle made that selection of Boye Omafe. And I said, no, I think he's a lot closer to Cliff Averill. And so to hear Pete Carroll use that exact same comparison, um, you know, and, and as you just mentioned, with all the metrics, with the fact that both of these players, you know, were superstars uh, in the Big Ten, um, you know, I, I just think that there are an awful lot of similarities. Now, that said, as you mentioned, Cliff Averill was a terrific NFL player, and Boye Omafe is – almost sushi raw at this point, but still the athletic potential that he possesses the very similar size. I do project a great deal of success for Mafe. If he winds up being even half of the player that Cliff Averill was for the Seahawks and previously at the Detroit lions as well, then I think that the Seahawks got themselves an absolute star in the second round. And this is my closing thought of that. Cause I mentioned the athletic parallels. Cliff Averill had 12 and a half sacks his last two years at Purdue. Boye Mafe had 11 and a half sacks his last two years at Minnesota, and he did it in significantly fewer games because COVID shortened the 2020 season. And they both had three forced fumbles in their college careers. So again, it's really eerie. When you look at the college numbers, you look at the athletic testing, the size, their strengths, football skills wise, you see a lot of similarities. So People a lot of times bat an eye when Pete Carroll compares players to others, but this is one that I definitely can see. We're going to continue our position-by-position position depth chart review. Finally going to look at defensive tackles. We had to push this down a couple of days because of everything going on with mini camps. but we're going to check out the big fellas in the trenches. Who's the sleeper? Who's the wild card? Who's on the bubble? And much more when we return. Don't you love a chewy chocolatey brownie? What about a caramel brownie with caramel swirled on top? That sounds delicious. I wish I had about three of them right now. What if I told you that you can have all the chewy chocolatey deliciousness plus 17 grams of protein? Well, you're in luck because caramel brownie bars are available at Built.com right now. And you got to act fast because they are a fan favorite and they're going to be gone quickly. Forget about dessert. These are better than dessert. Plus, the macros are unreal. 130 calories. 17 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar. I would replace a regular brownie with a caramel brownie bar in a heartbeat. The best part, caramel brownie bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. With Built, you don't have to sacrifice tasty for healthy. You can have both. And Built bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. With Built, tasty is the new healthy. Go to Built.com to get your box of caramel brownie bars right now. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at built.com for 15% off your order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast as your second listen. The schedule is getting dark this time of year, especially with mini camps now ending across the league. But the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins. 
Plus, local Lockdown NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Lockdown NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing our position-by-position depth chart review. We've had a nice little hiatus here since our last one that we did. Thanks to minicamp, a lot going on the past few days. We're finally going to get to the defensive tackle group, and this discussion is going to be a little different than it has been in years past, Rob, because Seattle has typically played a 4-3 defense with two defensive tackles on the field, but they're going to a 3-4, which really makes it that their defensive ends, they're playing 3-tech or 4-I, they're really defensive tackles with a nose tackle in the middle. And so we've got a much larger group to look at with the scheme change this year. We do. Um, and, and I think that it's a very strong group. And uh, I say that kind of, uh, you know, sarcastically here, just that it is a, it's a big group. Um, it's strong. It's big in terms of numbers. It's big in terms of size. And, uh, and so that I'm going to start off with the guy who is not listed as Seattle's biggest defensive tackle. That honor would be Brian Monet, who is listed at 6'3", 345. But Big Al Woods, who is listed at 6'4", 330, but looks like he's a little bit closer to 350, 360, and was an absolute just game wrecker a season ago. I think that's where you guys start off with. He, to me, is the likeliest candidate to be Seattle's starting nose guard. But as you said, those other defensive tackles are, are basically going to be playing as, as two gapping defensive ends, Their whole their whole job is to be able to hold up at the point of attack. And I think that some of the other guys, as I just mentioned with Brian Monet and his size, Puna Ford, LJ Collier, Shelby Harris, uh, LJ Collier, et cetera, et cetera. I think that Seattle has a great deal of talent along the defensive line that is going to be able to allow their off-ball linebackers and, of course, those edge rushers, two groups that we've already talked about a little bit. It's going to allow them to flourish, but only because of the hard work being done by Seattle's big men inside. When they're in their base, when they're playing their three, uh, four looks, I anticipate that Al Woods is going to be that big nose because of his size, and we know that he can take on double teams. He can play that two-gapping responsibility over the center. The other two positions, as as you mentioned, we can call them defensive ends, but because of their because they're reduced inside, a lot of times with three-four defensive terminology, they're viewed as defensive tackles, and so you need to have guys that have some girth playing that position. You can't have a 250-pound defensive end that is reducing down to three-tack on rundowns. It just doesn't work. The player is going to get physically overwhelmed. I anticipate that Puna Ford and Shelby Harris are going to be the other two starters here. We know Puna Ford is going to be in the lineup, and as quick as he is for his size, I think he's going to be a really good fit playing that position. He's handled double teams in the past. He's been a heads-up nose tackle, so I think he can play that role. And Shelby Harris – This is bread and butter. He's played in this defense for Vic Fangio the last three years and was dominant at times. So this is going to be a walk in the park for him. He's playing in a defense that he's very familiar with and he has excelled in. Even Quentin Jefferson coming back to Seattle has played in some similar defenses since he left the Seahawks. So you've got him to rotate in with Puna Ford as well as Shelby Harris. And LJ Collier looks like he's put on about 15 pounds of muscle, much bigger this year around 290, that's going to serve him well in a rotation role. I expect he's going to be in more on pass rushing downs, rushing from one of those spots 
But you got to like the depth they have. But I think Harris, Ford, and Woods in a 3-4 look are your three starters. Yeah, you took a lot of the words right out of my mouth there. I, I love the fact that, that Seattle brought in Harris uh, as well as uh, Quentin Jefferson uh, just because the fact that they can be those kind of coaches on the field. That's something that Pete Carroll has always prioritized, and I think that that makes so much sense uh, with this relatively young group outside of, again, the veteran uh, Woods. Uh, you know, as far as guys who have been in Seattle for the long term here recently. So I, I like that, and, you know, I, I'm sure sure there's some Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, who are, once we said LJ Collier, they were driving off the side of the road or looking for something else to watch on YouTube or whatever. And I'm telling you that LJ Collier is a better fit in a 3-4 scheme than he is in a 4-3. This is perfectly suited for him. Frankly, I have some concerns about how well Puna Ford is going to be able to hold up because of the quickness that you mentioned. That's his forte. But he is not quite as stout at the point of attack as LJ Collier is LJ Collier for those people who were kind of laughing when we said that that Collier has gained 10 15 pounds of muscle you know they, they hear that oh he's heavier that's got to be a bad thing look up some of the pictures of LJ Collier now he is yoked he looks like this is his like he recognizes that this is going to be one of his final yeah. opportunities and, and so I do expect his long arms and his added strength to really be able to help him be not necessarily more productive I, I'm not expecting any of Seattle's defensive tackles that we're listing here to wind up producing anything more than say three or four or five sacks at most I think again that's going to be the edge rusher's job but I do expect LJ Collier to be on the field more often this season. And I do expect Seattle's front, these, these defensive tackles that we're talking about here, to be able to be that, that solidifying force in the middle that is going to allow Seattle to be the run-stuffing unit that they were a year ago. Yeah, I think if I'm going to go with a sleeper from this group, I, in fact, I'm going to go with LJ Collier as my wild card because he's kind of the guy that has been – cast aside by fans because the production just simply has not been there. He was a healthy scratch seven games last year, but I've mentioned this several times, his playing style. He's just better suited to be in that 290 range than 275 because he doesn't have the burst. Even when he loses weight, he does not have the burst to be much of a threat off the edge. And you can't play at 275 reduced inside, at least as an every down player. And he got blown up some last year. But at 290, he plays a physical brand of football. He throws heavy hands, violent hands. And I think he has a much better chance to be a disruptive pass rusher from the three-tech position than out wide. So I do think that he's the wild card of this group, particularly on those pass rushing downs. As far as a sleeper to watch in this group, I'm going to go a real deep sleeper on this one. And this might not be a name that many of our listeners know much about unless you're in the area because he is a local kid but Matt Gotell who is built like a hotel I'm telling you this dude he is short stocky just a thick guy but but he doesn't look like I don't want to use the word fat but he he's a very muscular guy at 340 pounds this guy's just built and he just looks the part we have to see how he fits in when we get to training camp, but Seattle's got a very good track record of developing undrafted defensive tackles. And in this scheme, a guy like that, that's 340 pounds. If he can manage double teams and he can two gap, 
he's got a chance to maybe start the year on a practice squad and maybe be a player that over time can get some reps on Sundays. I've got to see where he fits in. This is a very deep sleeper right now. He wouldn't be making this football team if I'm making projections, but I am very intrigued by this guy with his size and the scheme fit I think is going to be there for him to maybe make a little noise in training camp in the preseason. Yeah, Corbin, I mean, you, you referenced Seattle's ability to kind of find these undrafted free agent defensive linemen, uh, you know, that, that stick on their roster. I mean, I think that's a big reason why Clint Hurts, uh, you know, uh, rose up to now become Seattle's defensive coordinator um, is, is again, his, his ability to, to do exactly that. I mean, Brian Monet and Puna Ford being two undrafted free agents who are now our starters for the Seahawks, uh, or at least have started significant time. I, again, I, I think that that's something that, that Gotell, um, you know, has got to be really excited about that. This is a franchise that is willing to, uh, to dedicate that amount of time to a young unproven player, but give him his opportunity. So I'm very excited about that. Quickly for me, I, I would, you know, LJ Collier, I think is a, is a fine candidate as a wild card. I'm going to mention Shelby Harris. Uh, you know, to me, it, it's kind of similar. When we talked about the edge rushers, I mentioned the free agent addition of Uchenna Nuosu as, as a bit of a wild card. I expect Nuosu to make a significant impact for the CX. And I expect the same thing from Shelby Harris. Again, he, he doesn't have the size that you typically look for. He's 6'2", 288 pounds, according to Seattle's official roster. That That's pretty small uh, by NFL defensive tackle, defensive lineman in a 3-4 standard. But at the same time, again, you mentioned the heavy hands, the physicality, the long arms, and this is guy, a guy who's just a tough guy, um, really physical kind of player. So I I'm excited about the fact that Seattle's kind of getting back to the roots a little bit, at least what Pete Carroll and John Schneider had originally built this team of being tough, being physical, being nasty, being intimidators. Shelby Harris brings a little bit of that. And my true sleeper here, you know, we've talked about Miles Adams in the past, and he's got that quickness to him. I'm intrigued to see how he might fit in this roster and on this scheme. You know, sometimes you get in this these three, four alignments, and all you think about is trying to stop the run and have the other guys, the, those edge rushers, and a guy like Jamal Adams uh, be your your sack guys. But you also have to be able to kind of mix things up in obvious pass rushing or obviously passing downs. And Miles Adams, as well as the aforementioned Puna I think that they have the quickness to be able to be penetrators in the inside that might be able to create a little bit of a uh, of a specialist role for Miles Adams in particular, um, you know, for this defense. I've got Miles Adams as my bubble guy, so that was a perfect segue because the two games he played in last year, I thought he played pretty well. There were a few plays that he got dominated the line of scrimmage, but he also had several plays where he got back into the backfield. He blew up a screen, which. Last year, the defensive tackles, for the most part, I thought did a poor job of reading and reacting to screens, and they just kept rushing upfield, which is the last thing you want to do. But Miles Adams was not fooled. And so you saw some things from him. You saw some good football IQ. You saw the quickness on the game tape. And so you look at his build. He's a smaller guy to be playing that position. But 285 pounds playing three-tech and four-eye, you can make work. My big question with him is how is he going to handle when he gets double teams? Can he two-gap? But he did play a little bit of nose for them in the two games that he played last year and held up fairly well. So he's a guy that he's a little shorter and plays a bit bigger than what his size listing would be from a weight standpoint. So he is the one that I am pretty intrigued by that I liked what I saw last year on film. And 
he's going to be going up against LJ Collier and maybe Jared Hewitt as three guys that kind of have that more athletic profile trying to get a roster spot. So he's squarely on the bubble, in my opinion. No, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think that he might even be, uh, you know, on the outside looking in at, at this point. Uh, but still, as I just mentioned, uh, I'm really excited about Adams. I think that you have a safer player in Quentin Jefferson, uh, and he signed a two-year deal with Seattle. Uh, and, and so I don't know that he's truly on the bubble, but I do expect that Seattle is going to have to release some of these talented defensive linemen that we just mentioned. And I think that there's enough respect from Seattle for a veteran like Quentin Jefferson, who obviously came back to Seattle, that if they were to decide that they want to release a player, I think there's enough respect with Jefferson that they might do it early enough in the process. It might be one of those that might surprise some people, but then allow Jefferson to look elsewhere for a job. I just wonder if this could be a numbers thing here. Jefferson's a good football player, and at 6'4", 295 pounds, he does have the size, as we talked about before, the experience in a 3-4 and 4-3 scheme to be able to do a lot of different jobs for the Seahawks. But at the same time, entering his eighth season in the NFL, he is no spring chicken. And so if Seattle wanted to go with a younger route, like a Miles Adams or uh, you know any of the other players that we kind of mentioned previously, uh, that like Gotell, for example, then that uh, Quentin Jefferson could be a guy who is very much on the bubble. That would be a stunner, but at the same time, we've seen some things happen where guys have come back for a second time in Seattle and didn't last very long. But I would think there's going to be a place for Quentin Jefferson with his versatility, how productive he was for the Raiders a year ago. But this is a deep group. There could be a surprise coming once we get to late August, early September. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow on our Blue Friday episode, I'm going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag, and we got a very special guest set to join the show. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.